Welcome to the Sterling Foursquare Church Podcast. Our mission is to offer hope for the broken, lives that are thriving, the equipping of believers, and the launching of leaders. More info can be found at sterlingfoursquare.com. Thank you for joining us today. We are wrapping up our sermon series that we've been in for the last three weeks. So this is week number four, and the series has been entitled Sent Here, There, and everywhere, here, there, and everywhere. And that first week we looked at what it meant to be sent here to write your immediate location, your immediate uh, closest sphere of influence and relationship and how we are to partner uh, with the Spirit of God in those places. And then the next week we were looking at the there, how to kind of move out in that concentric circle of relationship to have impact uh, to the others around us and to begin to explore how to partner with Jesus in our community uh, through being led by the Spirit towards that. And then last week, if you were here with us, we had our missions team that was freshly returned from Thailand talking a little bit about what it looked like to, uh, to be sent over there, right, to an everywhere place to the other side uh, of the globe. And we were able to celebrate some of those things as a church family and to see that as an extension of all of us uh, in that place. But this morning, we're going to be looking at the idea of how to be sent everywhere, uh, just like right where you are and what it looks like for us to make that step. Uh, we, we began with really the, the understanding that as Jesus was commissioning his disciples, as he was speaking to them about the mission that they were to be about or the way that they were to go about living their lives in partnership with the Holy Spirit and in partnership in bringing the kingdom of God, that there was really kind of this all-play group assignment that Jesus initiated. In Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 to 20, oftentimes this would be referred to as like the great commission statement. Maybe you've been a part uh, of, of that type of language language or rhetoric around it, but Jesus gathers his disciples together. He's just spent 40 days after his resurrection teaching them and encouraging them and kind of giving them uh, uh, some new uh, encouragement and some marching orders, and as he is getting ready to ascend into heaven, he has some of these conversations about this is what's next, this is what's coming, this is how you are to go on living and uh, being active in the world. And so uh, in Matthew chapter 28, verse 18, this will be up on the screen for your benefit. It says, then Jesus came to them and he said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age." So Jesus gathers his disciples together, gathers his followers together, and he gives them kind of this all-play group assignment. Now, I don't, I don't know if you remember group assignments when you were in school. Uh, you were either the student who loved group assignments because you weren't a great student and you were hoping to be grafted into a, a, a group where there was some people who knew the subject, uh, and maybe that was some of us, and some of us didn't like group assignments because we were the ones who knew what was happening and we were going to get saddled with this dead weight, right? Um, and, but there's this, this all-play group assignment when it comes to following Jesus. And we've spent a lot of time over the last year talking about what it looks like to be called as an individual to respond to Jesus in faith, but at the same time being called to the community of believers to go and do and to be all that the Lord 
has planned and purposed for us. And so he, he gives them this group assignment. And as important as it is for each one of us and each one of them to engage in the assignment, it was given collectively. The idea of to go and therefore make disciples of all nations, if that had to be left to Peter, to James, or to John, it's unlikely any of that's gonna take place. So it's given to the group, and the goal is not for just them alone. That is the all-play assignment to the people of God, to go and to bring the good news, to, to lead people to Christ, to come and to be the hands and feet of Jesus in the world, not for just that time, but for successive generations until you and I get to be the benefit of that now, and we get to go be a part of bringing that benefit to those around us and then to generations to come after us. And then we, we looked as we were building out this series, uh, Jesus had given them this kind of this all play group assignment. And then he told them to wait. If you remember that at the very beginning of the, of the series, we, we highlighted that idea that Jesus said, all right, you're gonna go and do this. And then he said, but wait, don't do anything until you receive the Holy Spirit. And in Acts chapter one, verse eight, uh, Luke, the writer, uh, highlights this. And Jesus speaking to his disciples after already commissioning them and telling them to go, now says, pump the brakes, wait a second, and you have to be resourced for this. Acts chapter one, verse eight, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And so in kind of thinking of this as like a group assignment, an all-play assignment, it's not just kind of given this nondescript, here's the goal, hope you make it. Jesus actually gives us both a progressive template to follow and he resources us with the Holy Spirit. In John chapter 14, 15, and 16, it talks about the role of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer, that he's gonna be the spirit of truth, that he's gonna bring conviction, that he's gonna teach and remind of everything that Jesus taught, that he's not gonna speak on his own, but he's gonna speak the very words of God, that ultimately the Holy Spirit is kinda like the cheat sheet for getting the assignment done. It's the resource packet for you and I to go into this. And so this whole idea of being sent, as much as it's for you and for you and for you, it really is a collective group assignment giving to all of us, and there's a template. We go from here in Jerusalem to there in Judea and Samaria, and then to the ends of the earth, the everywhere, and so that's the, the template we've been looking at. And everyone, everyone is to participate. Everyone is to participate in that. And immediately, immediately, I think that we start to try to figure out how to not participate or not participate maybe to the degree of others, right? Remember that when we have a group assignment, some of us are trying to get into a strong group that we can kind of coast in, and many of us approach our walk with the Lord in that way, and for a variety of ways. Maybe we don't feel like we've got the expertise or we don't have enough to bring to the table, or maybe we're just a little bit fearful and we don't want to engage in that, but for many of us, our perspective of what it means to go and to be the hands and feet of Jesus and to partner with the plans and purposes of God in the world, we assume that there are others who are more apt for that, that others are, are kind of more strongly suited for that, and maybe we're just gonna kind of be around and like be support space, right? We'll type it out or we'll like take the notes or something along those lines. 
And then sometimes when it comes to like school assignments, especially, we'll, we'll look to kind of negotiate our way out of that. Uh, I don't know if you have, have ever been in one of those situations where you were looking to try to get out of that. Uh, I was a youth pastor and I was a high school coach and I was a high school teacher all at once and for a number of years. And I have had countless, countless, countless conversations with students or athletes who were looking to negotiate their way out of what was being expected of them. You know, if we do this, can we get less of that? If we do this, can we kind of maybe not do that? We kind of did that already. Could we kind of get out of that? And if that doesn't relate to you, any parent here, you've already had those conversations with your kids or you've been the kid on the other side of that conversation. And sometimes we'll go to like the extremes to kind of weasel out of some of the stuff that we would rather not do. Uh, One of my favorite teaching stories, I've shared this with my kids, it's one of their favorite ones to hear, and they'll ask periodically uh, for me to revisit it with them. But when I was was teaching uh, high school, I was a high school English teacher, and we did uh, a whole unit that was on uh, poetry, creative writing, and like playwriting. And at the end of that unit, I always enjoyed going and doing other things, making things accessible and practical. And so I found that they were actually doing plays at a theater in Boulder that aligned with what we were looking at in the unit. And so we took a field trip. And we had like a fancy day where everybody had to like dress up. The gals had uh, gowns on. The guys all had to have a jacket and a tie. And so, I mean, we were looking as good as you can look when you're like a youth trying to dress up, right? So the guys were all in shirts that were too big for them and they borrowed their dad's jacket and tie. But it was as close as we could get. We got in these vans and we headed down. We had a great time at this Boulder uh, Theater. And then we loaded back in and I broke the news to them on the drive home. I was like, wasn't that great? Yeah, wasn't this fun? Fabulous. You have to write a paper on this. Aw, right? So we're in the van heading back, and I I broke the news that once we got back that their assignment for the next day, they were going to have to go home and write. And I gave them a a prompt and some some, uh, uh, suggestions on how to approach that. And as soon as they got done whining and complaining, now we started negotiating right? Trying to get out of like the five-page paper, like let's get it down to like a three-page paper. You know what? Let's not do a paper at all. Can we kind of transpose this maybe into like a five-paragraph essay? Well, you know what? If you're going to write a five-paragraph essay, couldn't we just do it in three and do it really, really well? And so they started kind of moving and shaking and shuffling to get out of that. And in this kind of droning and complaining behind me, there was a fly buzzing around inside the van and I caught it, right? Like Mr. Miyagi, like I caught it with my bare hand, and I thought, let's see what type of negotiation they really want to do. And so I looked in the rearview mirror, and I said, hey, I just caught this fly, and they're like, oh, gross. And I said, if somebody will eat it, you don't have to do any assignment. And it got real quiet as they were thinking, and they were kind of weighing out whether or not they were going to do this. And one young lady towards the front of the van said, I'll eat it. And she did. I handed her a fly that was still buzzing. She ate that whole thing. and She is a hero. Do you understand? She became a hero immediately. We sing, we sing her tale year after year after year. And she just, she did not want to do the paper that bad. And so she took one for the team, ate the bug in front of everybody in order to get out of that. And I share that uh, story uh, mostly because I like to revisit it. Um, and my kids will like to hear it a little bit later. Um, but to consider this, uh, how, how far do you and I go at times to get out of the things that God is calling us to do in faith? 
Like, like how often do those kind of invitations to partner with the Holy Spirit or to take steps to be a part of Jesus' story and another person, how, how often do we look for kind of a, a way out of those? I'll just like that, let that sit for, for a moment and you can just kind of weigh that in your heart with the Lord. But there, there are times where Jesus calls us to take steps of faith that are hard or difficult or uncomfortable and, and we'll try to negotiate our way out. Uh, we'll even go to the extreme at some times to do something unpleasant if we feel like it's gonna justify our inactivity in responding in obedience. Sometimes we're more comfortable coming to Jesus to receive what we need and I think we all are, have, have a desire to do that but we, come, we become more comfortable in doing that than we are in then going from J Jesus to give what we have received. And, and both are really required of us. If we're to go and to make disciples, if we're gonna be sent here, there, and everywhere, there's like a, a coming and going that becomes a rhythm of the way that you respond to Jesus, where you come and you receive forgiveness and then you go and you extend forgiveness. Where you come and you find wholeness and then you go invite others to wholeness that you are reconciled to him and then you begin to look to reconcile your relationships, that there's this overflowing generosity of the spirit of God in your life and then you begin to go and to live generously with the things that he has resourced you with, that that's supposed to be part of kind of the life rhythm of the way that we go about following Jesus. But often, often we would rather eat a bug than to be invited into those other things. And so as we, as we talk a little bit today about what it looks like to be sent everywhere, for that to be both uh, individually applicable to you, but a collective group assignment, I wanna, I, I wanna consider maybe some of the things that we're trying to excuse ourselves out of and some of the reasons why that is, and then offer maybe a different response this morning that sets us kind of fresh and new uh, on that new journey with Jesus. If you've got your Bibles, go ahead and get it out. You should already be in Luke. I gave you a heads up. Smartphone or tablet, if you got those open. Lord, we ask that you give us soft hearts to receive from your word this morning. Lord, that you would give us honest hearts to hear your Holy Spirit as you would bring uh, assessment. Lord, that places that we need direction and correction, that we would be open, that we would be open, Lord, to that feedback. And Lord, give us courageous faith. Give us courageous faith to rely on you and the power of your spirit to walk this out in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to look at Luke chapter 10 this morning. There's a passage that's going to be familiar to many of you. There's an exchange that happens in this passage between Jesus and somebody who is identified as an expert in the law. So this would have been somebody uh, who would have sat kind of in the same circles as the Pharisees, the Sadducees. It would have been somebody who had influence. He would have had affluence. He would have been a, a seat of importance in the community. He would have had uh, some money and some power assigned to him. And he would have been somebody who had been seen as learned. And he's in this group along with uh, just a host of others and Jesus uh, has been teaching. And on this occasion, um, we're gonna pick up in verse 25 and read through 29, and this will kind of set the stage. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? 
And so Jesus is in kind of a group setting, and there's this one who presumes himself to be an expert. He stands up, and he's given Jesus a test. And there were times where they would try to test Jesus to kind of trap him in his words. There were times that they were trying to call him out publicly. Sometimes they would test him just to kind of see if he, if he knew or if he had an answer for that. And so you can kind of superimpose some different lenses over this. But at the heart of this, he's asking Jesus a question to see what Jesus would come up with as an answer. And Jesus responds with this. He says, what is written in the law? How do you read it? So Jesus answered his question with a question. How, how would you presume to answer this? And so the man answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself. If you're a note taker, if you highlight, if you underline, I would draw your attention to this. Because it gives us the motivation of the man's heart for the next part of this exchange. He wanted to justify himself. And then he asked specifically, who is my neighbor? And so this, it gives a little bit of insight into what's going on here because of the question and the idea that he's looking to justify himself. Right? As, as he is exchanging this conversation with Jesus, the idea of loving the Lord with your heart, uh, with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and then love your neighbor as yourself, that this is presented as to what it looks like to really know and to understand and to inherit eternal life, to walk into the benefits of the things of the kingdom of God. This is the praxis. This is what it looks like to be doing that. And in looking to justify himself, he doesn't ask, how do I love the Lord with all my heart, mind, soul, and strength? It would suggest that he is earnest in his relationship with God, that he knows how to worship, that he knows how to, to walk through those types of spiritual practices, that he would be sincere in that. There's nothing in him that's kind of wiggling or squirming about the thought of connecting with the Lord. And that may or may not be something that is uh, appropriate for, for you today. Maybe the idea of loving God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, that that's a place of present wrestling and you're still growing and you're still learning in that. But for this man, that wasn't the issue. He looked to justify, justify himself with the question, who is my neighbor? Because the love your neighbor as yourself was the sticking point for him. The love your neighbor as yourself was the sticking point for him. And I, I bring this out because he was looking to justify why he wouldn't have to engage in that. And when it comes to you and I being sent by Jesus, right, to go into all nations and make disciples, to start here, there, and everywhere, when we have those kind of clear mandated marching orders, when we've got the group assignment, we've got the instructions and the resource packet, but we often, we want to justify ourselves. I, I wonder what excuses you and I tend to offer. I just want you to sit for a moment and maybe consider your own person in that. What, what excuses do you tend to offer the Lord when he's inviting you to take steps of faith and take steps of obedience towards contributing to this group assignment? I, I have heard many and I've used many in my time following Jesus. Some of the ones that I've used is I'm really busy. Maybe that's something that translates to the way that you live your life and the way that you've kind of set up 
those rhythms. But it's easy to, to say, you know what, I don't have time to go everywhere. I don't have time for this activity or this person. I don't have time to love in that way. Like, I just, I don't have time to do that. I'm, t- I'm too busy. I've got other priorities. These other things are more important. I have more demands on my time or on my person or on my resource. And those things are valid, right? Those things are valid. In fact, many of us, we live our lives in such a way that we're so stretched and so out of balance, we don't actually have the margin to respond in obedience to the things that Jesus would ask us towards because we're maxed out and there's nothing left. There's no margin. Sometimes it's I've got important things to do or I don't have the energy to that, right? Monitoring just kind of the, what you know that drains you and fills you up. And sometimes those people or that assignment or that place, man, I just, I just, I, I don't have the energy to go there. Sometimes we'll say that we don't know enough scripture to be used in that circumstance. I'm not comfortable praying for people in public. Not really sure how to go about that or I don't have an answer for that question and so we'll kind of exclude ourselves maybe from that. We don't have the expertise. Somebody else in the group should maybe step up and be a part of that because I'm looking to kind of draft in their wind, so to speak. Sometimes we just look at our lives. We look at what's going on just in our present lives and we're like, my, my life's a wreck. Right, we'll say, like, I don't have my own life together. How am I gonna help somebody else find wholeness and Jesus, there's any number of reasons why we could limit ourselves from being a part of the story of somebody else's life. If you think about just kind of the, the geography of everywhere, right? I don't travel, I can't take time off, I can't get there. You know, when we think about missions in that type of a sense with our Thailand team going all the way over, we'll, we'll, we'll think in terms of those limitations, but often, often those things, if we get down to the kind of the whole or the heart of them, we're really looking for a reason to not. And that's what the man was doing. The man here, this, this wasn't about whether or not he knew how to love God or knew how to love people. It wasn't about whether he was being called to that. He would just rather not. I'd rather not do that. And so he asked that question. He asked, so who is my neighbor? And I love that the way that Jesus responds to his excuse. And I found that often that it's the same thing for me, that when I'm looking to offer excuses for why I'm not going to respond in obedience or be led by the Spirit or walk in a way where I demonstrate the heart of God or the hands and feet of Jesus, that when I look to kind of have those kind of excuses or those justifying conversations with the Lord, he does much the same with me as he does with this man here. Jesus doesn't answer him with an argument, right? He doesn't start to parse out what it really looks like. What does it look like to love or not love? And like really, he's not trying to get to the nitty gritty of it. He doesn't, he doesn't take the bait and enter into an argument with the man. He doesn't have a discourse on logic. He doesn't talk about an if-then or a reciprocity. He doesn't go into any of that type of an exchange. He doesn't give him like a how-to workshop. He doesn't say, hey, here's three easy ways to love your neighbor, or here's five shortcuts to showing people grace. And he doesn't give him like a self-help seminar. He doesn't pump him up and say, hey, you can do it. You just gotta go for it, you just gotta try. He doesn't do any of those things. He tells him a story. And Jesus did this all the time. It was one of the reasons why his teaching is so accessible. He tells him a story. And so Jesus replies and he says that there was a man going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. 
when he fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, they beat him, and they went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and he bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, and then he put the man on his own donkey, took him to an inn and took care of him there. The next day he took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper. He said, look after him. And when I return, I will reimburse you for any other extra expense that you may have. Many of you would be familiar with the story. It's the story of the Good Samaritan something that is, is pretty well known, pretty well understood, and even carrying to just kind of colloquial things to this day, we have laws that are called Good Samaritan laws. The idea of when you're in a place where you can lend aid, there's things that at the base level, everybody should just know that they're supposed to do. It's even carried into kind of the secular type of governance in our nation. This is that accessible. And you can do a deep dive into this story and you can kind of parse out some of the nuance of it, the fact that Jesus makes a hero out of a Samaritan, the fact that the priest and the Levite who are devout and righteous are, are not really walking that out. You can talk about the nuance between what it looked like to travel between Jerusalem and Jericho and the guy probably shouldn't have been on that road to begin with and what was common to happen at that time. Like you can go deep and you can dig out and mine out all kinds of kind of little things that are more academic and you can still apply them to your lives and, and they're certainly rich in helping us understand the nuance in the story. But the point of the story is super, super simple. Because Jesus asked the man, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robber? And the expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus said, go and do likewise. As rich and as deep as you can go in mining out some of the beautiful riches of the story, the point is very simple. Who loved their neighbor, and anybody, anybody can see that. You don't have to know about the geography. You don't have to know about the history. You don't have to know about the cultural nuance. You don't have to know, you could, you could translate this to any person traveling between any locations, being fallen upon by any act of violence, and then there are those who see them in that victimized state and there's those who respond and those who don't and very clearly the one who loved, the one who loved his neighbor was the one that what? R responded. It's that simple, it's that accessible. And when you transpose that over our idea, see Jesus is speaking to this man's excuse for why he wouldn't maybe engage in that type of activity. When you transpose that over our consideration this morning of, of what does it look like for Jesus to send you and I everywhere and what do we offer as reasons for us not doing that, the same thing ends up holding true where the way that Jesus would bring scrutiny or bring correction to us would be through some type of a story that would bring us back to the praxis of whether or not we're just doing it. Are, are, are we doing that? Do we see ourselves as sent and are we saying yes to that invitation? 
And as we close our series, like what, what would it look like? What does is, what is your everywhere look like? What does your everywhere look like? You know, and we're, when we're thinking about Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth, when we're thinking about it in a geographic sense, right, our everywhere as a church could be Thailand. It could be as far away as that. High cost, high commitment, high time. Our everywhere could be as close as the church plant in Lincoln Park in downtown Denver that we're building and fostering a relationship with and that we're looking to resource as we're able. It can, it can be that far, it can be that close. For, for some of our congregation, your everywhere is sterling because you've just arrived. You've come from somewhere else. And now you're here, and this is, you're, you're bringing all of who you were and all of what God did in another place, and now you're here, and this is your everywhere, to find a way to be used by God, to be the hands and feet of Jesus, to go and encourage and make disciples. Like, we're all in that type of a movement. Sometimes you can consider it geographically, but more than that, your everywhere includes the everyones, and this is the challenge. See, there's challenges in getting to geographic places, but once you get there, the real challenges are the people that are there. For people who come to Sterling or go from there to another location, like the everywhere includes the everyones. The others. And those that I would call the those we would rather nots. Right, you know who those people are where when you see them, you would rather not. When the Lord prompts you to interact in a conversation, I would rather not. And just so we're clear, for some of us here, we're somebody else's, I'd rather not. Just so that you understand, grace has to be extended on a two-way street. And the interesting thing about Jesus and the way that he declared the kingdom of God to be present, right? If you remember this, when Jesus began his ministry, it says that he said, repent for the kingdom of God has come near. The kingdom of God is now. When he taught us to pray that it would be on earth as it is in heaven, right? Not a longing for a someday, but that someday gets to start today. All of those types of activities one of the beautiful things about Jesus and his everywhere and everyone was the way that he made room for all the rather nots. See, Jesus, Jesus made room for everybody. It was wild. It was actually one of the highest critiques that he received was that people would say, man, you're hanging out with the wrong people. You're, you're hanging out with the sinners. You're hanging out with the tax collectors. You're hanging out with the people with poor reputations. You touch the lepers. You're not even supposed to touch them, let alone be close to them, let alone engage with them as if they have value, let alone heal them. You're not, like, Jesus, you're doing everything wrong. And sometimes this gets overemphasized People will use this as an excuse to disengage from the church or to disengage from other believers. 
And they'll go and they'll want to just kind of spend time in kind of the seedy, kind of dark parts of society. And they'll use this to kind of justify that retreat. But can I tell you, Jesus spent just as much time with the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and the religious leaders. He didn't, he didn't create lines of discrimination or division. It was one of the things that was the most puzzling about Jesus and the reason why everybody got frustrated with him is whenever they would draw a line that would try to bring about kind of a separation, he would always stand in the middle and blur that line. And the message was always the same. He called everybody to repent. He called everybody to the hope of salvation. He called everybody to a newness of life. He responded to everybody with compassion. He responded to everybody with kindness. And ultimately, he gave his life for everybody. And so when we are sent on this mission, when we've got this all-play group assignment to go and to make disciples, when we've got kind of this all-play template to follow where we are supposed to be empowered by the Holy Spirit here, there, and everywhere, the biggest hurdle is not the geography, it's people. It's whether or not we've got a willingness in our heart for people and to respond to them the way that Jesus does. Without argument, without logical discourse in a sense where we're trying to trap them in their words, without somehow trying to just give kind of easy quips or little Christian calendar phrases to kind of just move people on and to get them out of our, but if we're willing to open our lives and to build relationship and to be, to be sent everywhere to everyone. Like Jesus' message was the same to all. His arms were open to all. He died for all. Arguably the most famous or well-known scripture is John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, whoever, that all who would respond to the invitation, whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn it. That's verse 17. We usually leave that one off pastor it's hard to memorize two verses like we got the one down but he did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but rather to save the world through him see we have to be sent in that way you're everywhere is going to include the every ones and so I draw us back to the story of the good Samaritan because when I start thinking about everywhere, I get overwhelmed. Can't be everywhere. In fact, some of the things that I would see as excuses are actually limitations. I do have finite energy. I only have a certain amount of hours. I can't, I can't be everywhere. I don't have a capacity in every area of life. I can bring my contribution. That's why it's gotta be an all play. That's why it's gotta be a group assignment. But I bring it back to this story because the very simple step that you can begin with is to love. To, to make disciples here, there, and everywhere. To have kingdom impact here, there, and everywhere. Don't overcomplicate it today. Don't overcomplicate it this week. Love. Just love. Everyone everywhere, every opportunity. 
And that sounds like out of reach, doesn't it? Right? That, I mean, that sounds a little lofty. Pastor, like, I can guarantee you I'm not going to get that right every time this week. Well, get in line. Pastor's not going to either. But we can do it better this week than last week. One of the beautiful things about love, and we'll close with this in just a moment. If you, if you go out and try to love in your own strength, if your own ability, if you just, it's going to be your effort this week. I'm going to get better at love. Like, you might, but probably not. Here's the most beautiful, encouraging thing about love. When Paul talks about the fruit of the Spirit, it's the first one he mentions. But the fruit of the Spirit is love. See, it goes back to the way that Jesus resources you and I to follow him. You've got a group assignment. We've got a template. But then we have the resource of the Holy Spirit. And that's why he told his disciples, don't go anywhere. Don't do anything without that. You're going to mess this assignment up. But if we will invite the Holy Spirit to be at work in us, and we will, as Paul says, to keep in step with the Spirit, we begin to allow ourselves to be led by the Spirit of God, and we, in courageous faith, say yes to the invitation to be a part of what he's doing. Love will be a fruit that comes naturally. And as you begin to foster that fruitfulness in your life, you'll begin to be able to offer that both here, there, and everywhere. Church family, I'm going to ask you to stand. Worship team, if you would come forward. We're going to consider a few things this morning as we close. Allow the Lord to move us towards some action steps. I'm going to ask you for just a moment. I want you to close your eyes just as a way of closing out distractions around you and you can allow the Spirit of God to search your heart as you think about this question. But I want, I want to start with the reasons why the reasons why we excuse ourselves out of it. The, the things that we look to try to do to justify not. And it starts with just this question, this idea of our everywhere. Where, where is your everywhere? Who does that include as people? And what excuses have you offered as a way to avoid it? For most of us, this isn't going to be such a hard line that it's like that's the everywhere and this isn't. Most of us, it's going to be a little bit nuanced. It's going to be a little bit kind of uh, person-specific or issue-specific. It's going to be less about a whole group of people and more about a person. But where is your everywhere and what excuse have you offered the Lord to try to avoid it? You know, loving those who love us, that's easy. In fact, Jesus said, what, what credit of that do you get? What credit is it to you? that you would love those who love you. The world does that. He presses us to love our enemies, pray for those who persecute us, to love our neighbor as ourselves, to, to love without expecting reciprocity. 
that it's in that way that we would go and make disciples, that it's in that way that we would go invite people to experience the kingdom of God. Lord, as those things are brought to our attention, we would offer those things to you and ask, Lord, that you would forgive us of that and that you would remove that. Lord, with no shame assigned to that, we would just acknowledge, like, this, this is what I've tried to hide behind. This is the bug that I would rather eat than the assignment that I would rather do. Lord, we, we acknowledge those before you and we ask that you would take away that excuse, take away that hurdle. Lord, remove that limitation as an excuse. And Lord, help us to say yes to you fresh today. That we would begin to see ourselves as sent here, there, and everywhere, knowing that we don't know everything, that we can't contribute much to the process, that we don't have it all together ourselves, but you have resourced us by your spirit to take steps of faith and to see a move of God in those areas that we're willing to say yes. And so Jesus, we simply, we say yes to you today. We say yes to the assignment. We say yes to the resource of your Holy Spirit. And Lord, we say yes to whatever opportunity you have out in front of us. And Lord, as a follower of Jesus and as a group of believers, we acknowledge that we're sent. So give us eyes to see. Eyes to see the opportunities to be used by you. Lord, help us to be quick with faith and courage to respond to your spirit. Lord, help us to have a desire to know your word and to know you more. Lord, that we would continue to grow, that we would continue to develop spiritual capacity. But Lord, that we would see that need for growth as a limitation we would see it as an opportunity to partner with you now and then to prepare for the things of the future. And Lord, give us an imagination of what it would look like for each of us to say yes to this assignment, each of us to receive the resource of your Holy Spirit, and for each of us to set ourselves together to reach our everywhere. Lord, without excuse and without exception, we would say yes to you today, Jesus. And yes to what you would lead us to this week. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. As we close this series, I've got three last action steps for you. You can catch these up on the screen. Snap a picture with your smartphone or tablet. You can catch these online later on this week. But number one is just begin to have a conversation with the Lord. Ask Jesus to give you a heart for your everywhere and the everyones that are in that. Number two, just begin this week with simple acts of love and then number three begin to love freely and frequently at every opportunity that you have